With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Happy Monday, my friends. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. We have an exciting week coming up. Tucker Carlson is expected to air footage from January 6th, the surveillance footage from the cameras placed all around the Capitol that Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy gave to Tucker Carlson. He's expected to air that tonight. So make sure that you subscribe to the show because tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, we are going to have a full breakdown of exactly what we found out from those videos. If you're wanting to know what to expect from those videos ahead of time, make sure you check out the show I did with Julie Kelly last week. Um, Talk about exactly what to look for. What are the smoking guns, so to speak, that we're going to find in those videos. Uh, Pretty interesting. Uh, you guys really liked that episode, so make sure to check it out with Julie Kelly. Um, also, we're going to talk about, tomorrow, we're going to talk about the FBI has been hiding the identity of some of the undercover assets that they obviously had placed around the Capitol on January 6th, uh, as well as the new poll that shows that even Democrats, even the majority of Democrats, believe that the feds were involved in January 6th. So it's going to be a good show tomorrow. It's going to be an exciting week. Uh, today on the show, we are going to talk about Kellyanne Conway. Page 6 has broken the news that Kellyanne Conway and her husband, George Conway, are in the process of divorcing. We're gonna break that down a little bit today, what that means. We're also gonna talk about the Alex Murdoch verdict. I don't know if you guys were following along. Seems like the entire country was following along with this grisly murder trial. Alex Murdoch um, has been convicted, found guilty of murdering his wife and his son. So we're gonna talk about that verdict and break down the circumstances surrounding it. We're also gonna talk about violence that happened. There's a video, actually, I wanna show you of some pretty nasty violence that happened at an elementary school. Not a high school, an elementary school in Ohio where several black students um, took white students and physically assaulted them and forced them to say Black Lives Matter. We're gonna talk about that video. And we're also gonna talk about the weirdest new Gen Z trend that is starting to hit workplaces. So even if you are not a parent, even if you don't have a Gen Zer in your home, you might see this in your office and wonder, what the heck is going on? So we're gonna break down what's going on with uh, that. Let's get to it. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. 
Former counselor to President Trump, Kellyanne Conway, is reportedly getting a divorce from her husband, George Conway. This is a report from page six. I actually want to read the exact words in this report. They're the first ones to report. This is what they say. DC's weirdest marriage is over. Page six hears that Kellyanne Conway, the longtime advisor to former President Donald Trump, and George Conway, the longtime tormentor of President Trump, have decided to divorce after 22 years of marriage. Beltway insiders tell us they've both lawyered up and that the two sides are hashing out the details of the split. During the 2016 elections, Kellyanne served first as a campaign advisor to candidate Trump, then as his campaign manager, while her husband co-founded the Lincoln Project with the express purpose of keeping Trump out of the White House. After the inauguration, she became the senior counselor to the president while George continued to lambast Trump at every opportunity on social media. In 2022, Vanity Fair wrote that one of the greatest mysteries of the 21st century is the marriage of Kellyanne Conway and her husband George, specifically if they hate each other as much as their public commentary would suggest, or if the whole thing is some kind of three-dimensional chess designed to further their own interests. Page six says the mystery appears to be solved. The pair wed in 2001 and share four children, but their political differences during the Trump administration took a toll on their relationship. In her 2022 memoir, Here's the Deal, Kellyanne said that she considered George's steady barrage of criticism of the then president a betrayal of their marriage, calling it cheating by tweeting. Okay, after this news broke, President Trump over on Truth Social posted about it, and this is what he said. He said, Congratulations to Kellyanne Conway on her divorce from her wacko husband, Mr. Kellyanne Conway. Free at last, she has finally gotten rid of the disgusting albatross around her neck. She is a great person and will now be free to lead the kind of life she deserves, and it will be a great life without the extremely unattractive loser by her side. I have a couple of thoughts about this. First of all, Trump is always funny, and it's funny in a way, it's, it's almost funny. I wanna laugh at it, but I can't. Here's the thing. I don't think that we should be celebrating anybody's divorce. I refuse, actually to celebrate anybody's divorce because even though George Conway is obviously toxic, he's extremely disrespectful. If Kellyanne says she felt like he betrayed their marriage, I'm not here to argue with that. I think from the outside, we can all say that was extremely disrespectful and we were unsure. I was unsure of how a marriage could survive that. Maybe it didn't. However, I'm not gonna celebrate it because divorce is a tragedy. Divorce is extremely painful. Divorce is extremely damaging. And one of the things that Trump missed in his statement is it's not just a relationship between George Conway and Kellyanne Conway that she is now free at last. There are four children involved. Four children who will now grow up the rest of their lives, even though they're adolescents and young adults, they will now be products of a broken home, of a broken family. And that is just, it's sad. That's extremely sad. That it breaks my heart in a way. In fact, at the risk of sounding preachy here, it's always easy to pass commentary on other people's relationships, but they aired their dirty laundry in public, so... Here's my opinion on it. This is uh, this could have been avoided. This could have been avoided because there were a lot of couples in this country, Kellyanne Conway and her husband George were not alone in this, that were divided over politics. And that divide became more significant in 2015 and 2016 as the political divide in our country ramped up, right? We probably all know some couple who falls into this, who falls into this. But a lot of couples are able to put those differences aside because of the covenant that they have entered into in marriage. When you work in politics, it's not easy to put that aside. I understand that. Kellyanne Conway, George Conway, both worked in politics. But if it puts your marriage at risk, your career and your legacy and your service to our nation, which is, I'm sure, how Kellyanne views her work, perhaps how George views his work as well, if it puts your marriage at risk, then you quit politics. You put your family first. 
you put your spouse first, you put your children first. You don't allow it to get to this point where you've put your career, your legacy, I don't know if it's about money for them, if it's about passion, about what they do, about power, I don't know their motivations, whatever. I'm not trying to assign nefarious motives to them, except maybe George. Um, but if it becomes clear that this is actually going to uh, irrevocably damage your marriage, you quit politics and you 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 fix it. You put your family first. I will never celebrate this divorce, um, no matter how toxic George may be. It breaks my heart for them and their whole family. Um, also, speaking of broken families, the Alex Murdaugh trial came to a conclusion this past week. Alex Murdaugh was found guilty of murdering his wife, Maggie, and his son, Paul. Very grisly murder. Um, close range execution with, with guns, with a shotgun and with, uh, another gun. I've forgotten what type he used. Um, it seems to me that, th- that this case was very obvious from the beginning. The jury only deliberated for three hours after both the defense and the prosecution rested their case. And they came back almost immediately with a guilty verdict. They didn't ask any questions of the judge. They didn't ask for clarification of any of the elements of the, uh, uh of statutes that they were, that they were dealing with. They just came back with a guilty Um, verdict. And one of the jurors, this is the interesting part. I think it's pretty obvious that he was guilty, right? One of the the jurors that went public in the immediate aftermath of this trial said that the one piece of evidence that convinced them all was that Snapchat video. Because where where Maggie and Paul were murdered was on this this property on the outskirts of, of town. And Maggie and Paul were both murdered there. Alex Murdoch claimed that he wasn't there. How could I murder them, he said, if I wasn't even there? Well, a video found on Paul's phone that was taken four minutes before the murders happened uh, had a recording on it. It was a it was a photo or a video of the dog, but in the background of the video was Alex Murdaugh's voice. He was in fact present there. So, if there's a smoking gun piece of evidence, that's it. That's what this juror said. Well, this was this was the smoking gun piece of evidence. And when Alex Murdaugh was challenged about this on the stand, I found it very unconvincing. He said, you know, I have an opioid addiction and as it escalates, I become paranoid and I lie and there's no reason for me to lie about this, but I did and I regret it. Honestly, when I saw that, all it made me, all, all, the only emotion that it evoked in me or the only, the only putting of the puzzle pieces together to try to see, is he guilty? Is he not guilty? This just made me more convinced that he was the murderer because he was on drugs and you're much more likely to harm someone and be violent and commit murder when you were the, under the influence of especially an opioid addiction. Um, so he seems like a total creep, a total creep. Um, plus, this is one thing that I wanted to address. A lot of people are saying, I think he's guilty. However, I'm not sure what his motive is here. Like he's accused perhaps, or there's these, these other murky things about his life. Like his housekeeper died under suspicious circumstances in his home and he collected the money from her life insurance policy. Like that's motive to kill someone, right? There are even people calling for this housekeeper's body to be exhumed. That's motive to kill someone. If you're, if you, if you are in a position where you would reap millions of dollars in benefits, but what's the motive here? To me, this seems actually very simple. The motive here is that his wife was estranged from him. His motive was a domestic dispute. And besides drug activity and gang activity, domestic violence is one of the number one motivators of murder, of homicide, especially when it's a husband killing a wife. That seems to me to be very obvious. I will say one thing, and this may be a very unpopular opinion. I'm interested to know what you guys think of this. But after the verdict, when the prosecutors came outside to talk about how they presented their case, um, I was very 
off-put by how, how they did their presentation. And I wanna show you this video first and then show you what I don't like about it and why. Wow, what a great day for the people of South Carolina. I wanna thank every one of you for being here tonight. This is, there's a lot of emotion here tonight at this courthouse. A lot of, uh, a year and a half, nearly two years of, of blood, sweat, and tears, it feels like. A lot of hard work from so many people. So if you will just bear with me, there's a couple of, not a couple, there's a lot of people I have to thank. Y'all saw all of these folks behind me uh, doing amazing work. And I can't be prouder of a team in my life. We called this our Super Bowl. Justice was done today. It doesn't matter who your family is. It doesn't matter how much money you have or people think you have. It doesn't matter what you think, how prominent you are. If you do wrong, if you break the law, if you murder, then justice will be done in South Carolina. Okay, I'm interested in your guys' take on this, but to me, it sounded like they felt that they were at a Hollywood Awards show. Like, what are you celebrating? You go up there and you start thanking people. You joke about what you're eating and forcing someone to take naps. Like, justice is justice, and it should satisfy us that our justice system works. But remember that justice in this case is helping properly reorder society after society has been put in disarray by the criminal who committed the crime against both his wife and his son, but also against society. It is the best reordering that we can do but it's, it's not reparative. His wife, Alex Murdoch's wife, Maggie, is still dead. His son, Paul, is still dead. He's now spending the rest of his life in prison, and deservedly so if he killed them, but it's still a tragedy to see someone end two people's lives and then willingly throw away his own. Not to mention his other son, his surviving son, Buster, whose life is completely ruined, completely decimated now. This is not something to celebrate. This is something that you can go out and say justice is served and we're proud of, uh, uh, of our prosecutions, but to celebrate and to laugh and to chortle and to act like th this is your Super Bowl, I found that to be very off-putting. Maybe I'm alone in this. Maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but I did not think that that, was, um, that, that showed the decorum that I would expect from a prosecutor at that level. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so now I want to pivot over to an elementary school in Ohio, it seems to me that this has that that children engaging in this kind of violence at school have gotten younger and younger. This used to be seniors in high school at at 
seniors in high school who are like 17, 18 years old, and now this is little children that are engaging this in kind of violence. At Kenwood Elementary School in Springfield, Ohio, this is not too far, this is maybe like hour, hour and a half from where I grew up in southwestern Ohio. Some black children were caught on video violently assaulting some white children and forcing them to say Black Lives Matter. And a local news affiliate um, requested this footage. They heard about this, requested this footage after it had been reported that this incident had occurred. And I want to, sh- I want you to watch this video for yourself. You see a student in a white shirt being escorted by two other students across the pavement to the swings where a third student knocks him to the ground. Minutes later, another student appears to be carrying another to that same area and dropping him on the ground. Finally, about 10 minutes in, there seems to be another altercation in that same area, and it looks like another student was shoved to the ground. This is an elementary school. An elementary school. I, I know I, I know I said this already, but it, it boggles my mind that children who are in elementary school, like this goes to what, 6th, 7th, 8th grade? These children are, are supposed to be 10, 11, 12, 13. They're not, they're not adults. They're children. And they're engaging this kind of violence. So police are actively pursuing charges against the black children who held held these white children, uh, physically assaulted them, and forced them to say Black Lives Matter. One of the children was punched in the head. They were thrown on the ground. Um, It's awful. It's horrible to see. It's horrible to hear about. But here's what I will say about this. This is not surprising. We shouldn't sit here and act like we can be shocked because it's always shocking to see a human being commit violence against another human being. But if we are surprised, then we haven't been paying attention. Because what we, what we saw unfold in that schoolyard is exactly what happens when children become indoctrinated with critical race theory. We often talk about, we often talk about what, what critical race theory does to students. We say, well, it tells white students that they're inherently racist, or that they're inherently racist, and there's nothing they can do to redeem themselves. And we talk about how awful it is to falsely accuse or impugn someone not based on their character and their behavior and their feelings and their actions, but based just on the color of their skin. It's awful. It's it's racism in and of itself. But what we don't often talk about, what we fail to talk about, what we've neglected to talk about is the impact that this has on black children. Because what does critical race theory tell black children? Critical race theory tells black children that they're inherently oppressed. Now, what does that mean if you're, if you're a, a young black girl or a young black boy? What does that mean? I'm inherently oppressed. That means in the minds of these children that there's something lesser about them, that there's something not as worthy of dignity, that because of the way they look, because of the color of their skin, that they are going to be demeaned and discriminated against by society at large. And that's awful and wrong. It's a lie. We know that. But we so often focus on the false accusation of racism that's levied against white children in the name of critical race theory that we fail to see how that poison manifests in black children. And it is, it is mea culpa that we have failed to realize this because the point of critical race theory, critical race theory, I know I constantly harp on this. When I say critical race theory is the grandchild of critical theory, critical theory being a Marxist strategy, a Marxist theory from the Frankfurt School. Critical theory says that in order to demolish 
Western civilization, you have to levy relentless criticism against the cultural institutions. That's the way to destroy a cultural institution is relentless criticism. And destroying the cultural institutions is necessary in order to destroy the political institutions or the governmental institutions. And we talk about the entomology or the origin of critical race theory to establish that it's Marxist, to establish that the false accusations against white people in the name of critical race theory are just Marxist attacks. They're just, it's just a tactic, it's a strategy of the Marxist. All of that is true. But what we have failed thus far to acknowledge is what the purpose of telling black children that they're oppressed is when you look at that through the eyes of critical race theory. And the purpose of that is actually perfectly exemplified on this playground. The purpose is to spark a revolution. The purpose of telling someone that they're a victim, that they're such a victim that they cannot shed that identity, that they cannot enjoy equality, that they are less, that they are oppressed. The purpose of telling someone that over and over and over is so that they start to push back on it. It's what Karl Marx had planned for the working class. He wanted to tell them the elites, the ruling class are taking advantage of you. Capitalism is, is, is taking advantage of you. It's unfair to you. Someone else is profiting off of your labor. It's unjust. Push back on this, push back on this. He tried to tell the working class that they were so oppressed that they would revolt against the ruling class. Now that never happened in the way that Karl Marx wanted it to, which is why Marxism morphed into the cultural Marxism. The, the, the next generation Marxists understood that in order to achieve what Karl Marx wanted, which was to destroy capitalism, to destroy the governmental institutions that are built around a free market economy, that first you have to destroy the cultural institutions, the family, the education system, religion, all of these, all of these bulwarks of society. But in order to do that, somebody has to stage a rebellion against somebody else. And so critical race theory is one of the most prominent tools that they're using. Critical race theory, which makes, issues these false allegations of racism against white people, but instigates racial tension by telling black children that they're victims, by telling black children that they're less, by telling black children that they're oppressed. What are you gonna do about it? Is what critical race theory says to black children. Are you gonna let this happen to you? You are being victimized. Critical race theory tells black children like, the black people who are enslaved in America, are you going to stand for that? Are you gonna allow yourself to face discrimination and inequality? Or are you going to fight back, fight, fight, fight? That's what critical race theory tells children in school. And so maybe I shouldn't sit here surprised that the fights that used to happen, you know, back in my day in high school were fights between 17 and 18 year olds who were essentially grown men, if young men, and now it's children engaging in violence because these black children have been told that even the words and the the words that white people use and i'm not talking about any any racial slur i'm talking about just if you're if you're a trump supporter if you're a white person if you're proud of america if you're a patriot that those are perpetuating the structures of white supremacy they're told even the education system the math curriculum reading using proper grammar it's perpetuating a structure of white supremacy. And so where better, where better to fight back than at elementary schools?
we're going to see this more because this generation of children has been inundated with critical race theory since the time they were read The Anti-Racist Baby by Ibram Kendi in preschool and in daycare. These children are finally getting to the age where that anger has been building up in them. And it's going to spill out because they're not preschoolers anymore. They're not kindergartners anymore. They're now at the age where their dignity is being assaulted. Their identity is being assaulted and they don't know what to do about it. And so they act out and they commit violence. They assault white people for being white because that's what critical race theory has taught them to do. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on The First TV. Watch The First on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. Gen Z's latest trend. Now, Gen Zers are a little bit older than these children in the schoolyard, but Gen Z is a unique generation that we often make fun of, but we should pay more attention to because they're creating their own norms, they're creating their own culture. And the idea, this was something that was very common to, uh, or something that was very common to be said maybe a decade ago when my generation was entering the workforce, uh, maybe a little bit more than a decade ago, maybe it was like 15 years ago, it was very common to say, you know, millennials just wait until they see reality, wait until they get out of college and, you know, smack into the real world. And this was actually a misunderstood concept because all of the wokeness that came with the millennial generation wasn't, it wasn't like woke millennials came smack up against the wall of normalcy when they got to the workplace. And that's where, that's where, you know, they saw the light of day on socialism and communism and minimum wage and taxes and all that. No, no. What actually happened is millennials, a lot of my contemporaries, exported that wokeness into corporate culture. So instead of meeting the real world, they brought their fantasy world into our real world or into the real world that already existed. The same thing is obviously going to happen with Gen Z. Gen Z is very different than the millennial generation, but they have been indoctrinated culturally in a very different way than millennials. And it is going to be exported from where they are now on TikTok to the workforce. And we're starting to see that happen. So I want to show you a video of the latest Gen Z trend because you may see this in your own workplace. Generation Z has brought from their smartphones, brought from TikTok, brought from their gigantic oversized sweatsuits that they somehow think are cool. Can't get on board with that trend, guys, sorry. 
they have exported from their little bubble of, um, I don't even know what to call it. It is not reality. Their little bubble of fantasy. They're starting to export some of this to the workplace. We saw this with quiet quitting. You guys remember quiet quitting? It was a phrase that went viral maybe last summer, almost a year ago. And it essentially meant that everyone was lazy at work that you didn't actually quit your job, but you just stopped trying. You did the absolute, absolute least amount possible until, until somebody noticed. You just, you just went and moved. Basically, it's the equivalent of pushing food around on your plate, um, putting food on your fork and then pushing it around, but never actually eating it. That's what Gen, Gen Z brought to the workforce because they felt that they were overworked and underpaid. <laughs> A little contradictory, actions contradictory to this philosophy. Um, the same thing happened with what was called the great resignation that Gen Z just decided they didn't want to work anymore. Decided a whole bunch of people just quit their jobs. They, they wanted to pursue their passions. They wanted to, to, to follow their dream and live their truth, a phrase that I cannot stand. Um, so we saw quiet quitting. We saw the great resignation. We saw, this was my favorite actually, acting your wage. The only part of that that I appreciate is the pun. Acting your wage means demanding to be paid more than you are probably worth as a Gen Zer in general if you are starting at the, at the bottom of the ladder uh, in the workforce in your chosen profession. This is, this is something that millennials started with thinking that when they graduate from college, they are immediately deserving of their dream job, that there's nothing that you have to do to pay your dues, to work your way to your dream job, that that you just you should you should walk right into the highest paid job doing exactly what you want right away. Not reality, millennials, not reality. Well, Gen Z took that one step further. Instead of just complaining about it and acting entitled, they uh, actually either quit or demanded money for work that was not equal to that amount of money. Those three things preceded the latest trend from Gen Z that you might be seeing in your workplace. It's called Bare Minimum Mondays. Bare Minimum Mondays is a phrase that was coined by a TikTok influencer. Let me see her name here. Marissa Jo Mays. I'm not on TikTok, so I don't have any idea who this girl is. She's apparently 29, so she's a little old. Is that even Gen Z? Is 29 years old Gen Z? Well, she's a little bit old to be acting like this. She should be acting a little bit. That cannot be Gen Z, right? I'm asking my control room here because I'm sure they're going to Google it. Technically, she is not Gen Z. Technically, she's not. But I guess she's somewhat of a Gen Z influencer on TikTok. So um, whatever. This has become a Gen Z, th- uh, Gen Z trend. But she introduced this trend, Bare Minimum Mondays, on her Twitter or on her TikTok account. And it's gone like millions and millions of views viral. And people claim in the comments that they are implementing this in their own work lives. Take a look at this. Here's how you can do bare minimum Monday if you have a more traditional job. I totally get this. I used to have the same boss. The very first thing you want to do is remove any wishful thinking tasks from your list. Tuesday, you can overachieve. Once you've condensed your to-do list as much as possible, the rest of your bare minimum Monday actually happens in your brain. The reason I began this in the first place is because I was putting so much pressure on myself that it was hard for me to do anything. One thing I know would have helped me when I was in corporate is to think to myself, Where might I be putting unnecessary pressure on myself? Like, what are you overly stressed about that you just don't need to be stressed about? What can you choose to not care about today? Knowing that it actually won't make a difference. Where can you choose to be a little bit nicer to yourself today? Where can you cut yourself some slack? That is where most of the bare minimum Monday work comes in. It's not actually about your schedule. What can you choose not to care about today is her question. Maybe she identifies. So I I Googled it while we were watching that. And actually, it's 11 years old to 26 years old. That's Generation Z. But my guess is that Marissa Joe identifies as Gen Z because that's 
That's what she's acting like. What can I choose not to care about today? Okay, so I actually have a couple of thoughts in here. I'm not just here to mock her. I do think she's ridiculous. I would never hire her. But um, false prophets, and I know she's not preaching the gospel, but someone who is trying to influence someone else, meaning they are they are sharing their message, um, they typically do so. When, they, when they're perpetuating something that's untrue, they don't offer you a lie that's based in 100% of falsehood because you would reject it, right? It would be like the frog in the in the dropping a frog in a pot of boiling water. If it was that false, you jump right out. But if you put a frog in a pot of cold water and then you turn up the heat, it doesn't notice it. This is the same with liars or false prophets. They package their false message in a grain of truth, and usually that grain of truth is dissatisfaction. Uh, of some kind, in this case, dissatisfaction of millennials and Gen Zers at work. And there's an element of truth to it that causes the people that she's trying to influence to latch on to uh, believing that her solution is also correct, since her diagnosis of the problem was tangentially correct. And what I mean by this is the corporate hamster wheel. That's unhealthy. I think we can all agree that materialism is is wrong. Um, A lot of young people think that in our culture, the workforce has become a very toxic and unhealthy place where people become workaholics because that's their identity, even when their job is not so all-encompassing or so service-oriented that it requires 100% of their time. They are pursuing their job to the extent because they want prestige, because they want money, because they want material items, because they want to show off to their friends. That's a very unhealthy, that's a very unhealthy lifestyle. And it's on that grain of truth that this young girl builds her lie, builds her lie, basically on the um, on the fact that a lot of people in their jobs don't have the right priorities. They're not prioritizing their family first and their faith first and their country first. They're prioritizing just plain old money for all of the greedy reasons that people throughout human history have always pursued money. So on that note, Gen Z in general, the stereotype of Gen Z is that they don't have much work ethic, they don't have much drive, they don't have they don't have a lot of gumption, they don't seem to know what they want, and they don't seem to have any shame in, I wanna say being lazy, but it's not even lazy the way that I would conventionally define lazy, it's that they have no sense of purpose. They don't seem to have any drive, anything that that motivates them. They seem to be devoid of that, devoid of that completely. Um, and so I thought I, I, I thought that this warrants a little bit of discussion because if an entire generation stereotypically has a lack of work ethic that's not just based on laziness, but based on a lack of purpose, then why is that? Why does an entire generation of children lack purpose? And I think the answer to that is because this generation, Gen Z, even differently than my generation, the millennial generation, has been an a-religious generation, like a very atheistic generation. This is the first generation that more children don't go to church and don't believe in the God of the Bible than do go to church and do believe in the God of the Bible. It's a very secular, a very atheistic culture that these children have been raised in, which that, that right there, could be all of the all of the explanation that we need. That right there would explain a lack of purpose. Well, if you think that your entire purpose is here on earth, of course you're dissatisfied pushing papers around a desk, right? Like if that's if you're so singularly focused on finding fulfillment here versus understanding that we are here for a time 
but our eyes should be turned towards eternity, then yeah, you're gonna be pretty, you're gonna be pretty dissatisfied in any job, really, no matter what your job is. But they have no religion. They've simultaneously been told that their identity is either bad and wrong if they're white or that they are oppressed and victimized if they're black. They've been told that they are less if they are straight. They've been told that really the only way that they're they're privileged, right? That the only way to redeem their bad their bad um, identity, their, their inherent identity, right? Their skin color or their sex is to choose a different one, is to become transgender. So their, their identity has been untethered from their true essence, which is a very discomforting feeling. It's a very, makes you feel like you're floating, makes you feel like, like you're, I mean, untethered. It's an awful feeling. The entire, this entire generation has, has been um, fed this lie on top of not having any religion to serve as an anchor. Their natural intrinsic biological desire, which I don't care if you're on the left, if you're a feminist, you deny this. Our biological desire as both men and women is to have a family. Our biological desire is to find a mate, is to get married, and is to have children. And our biological desire is to embrace our masculinity if we're men and to embrace our femininity if we're women. But our culture has taught these young people that those natural desires, the desire of a man to protect his wife and provide for his wife, the desire of a woman to have children, to be a mother, that these are wrong, these are disordered, these are social constructs that are either patriarchal if it's the man or are are systemically oppressive if they're the woman. And so think about the compounding of all of these different influences on young children. No anchor of religion to say, hey, it's not just you on this earth. It's not, this this existence on earth is not all there is. There's something greater for you. You're made for something greater. Then they're told that their identity is somehow bad through no fault of their own. They're told the only way to redeem that is to latch on to delusion, maybe even harm their own bodies. And then they're told that anything that they do desire in their heart, in their soul, is wrong. And so you put that, you take that child who has been fundamentally psychologically abused with this information and you drop them in the middle of a free market economy that they are hearing from every quarter is bad and evil. They're hearing that capitalism is wrong. They're hearing, they're hearing that this is the same as the racism and the sexism and the xenophobia and the transphobia, that this is evil and you give them a job working for a company that prioritizes profit because that's what companies do. They prioritize profit. And do we wonder that these people are confused? These young people, do we wonder that they feel a lack of purpose? Do we wonder that they're overwhelmed by stress and anxiety? And then we're told, or then we tell them, society, our culture tells these young people that true fulfillment comes in socialism, that that's fairness, that that allows you to pursue your truth, that that's equality. There's going to be no discrimination in a communist Marxist civilization. And they feel entitled to this. They feel entitled to this idea of happiness. But happiness to this generation, to Gen Z, is is, is empty. The definition of happiness that Gen Z is seeking, that they're pursuing, isn't real. Because happiness is not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. But Gen Z has been told that happiness is not joy. You and I might define happiness as, oh, I found the joy of Christ, meaning I can be happy even in the midst of suffering. That that word that we're seeking, when we say we can be happy in the midst of suffering, we're actually talking about the joy of Christ, right? But Gen Z has been told that the definition of happiness is this utopian idea that they see on social media of luxury and leisure. And that without this, 
they can't find fulfillment. And since they already have this dissatisfaction, this lack of purpose, of course they're confused. Of course they're crippled in anxiety. And it results in not feeling any dignity and satisfaction in doing work, even doing a mundane task. Like there's there's no shame in doing tasks and sitting at a desk. I know I made this, I mean, I'm sitting at a desk right now, pushing papers around, that's what I do. There's no shame in that. There's dignity in all work as long as work is good. As long as it's not something that directly contradicts morality, work has inherent dignity. And so in order for these Gen Zers to understand their position in society, in order for them not to feel this overwhelming stress at the idea of work, in order for them not to do quiet quitting and the great resignation and bare minimum Monday, for them to have some drive and some purpose, they need to understand the underpinning of what work is. Why do we have dignity in work? And there are several elements that Gen Zers need to understand. And the first of this is uh, the answer to the question, why are we on earth? What is our purpose being on this planet? We are, we are vapor, right? We, as human beings, like from dust we came and from dust we will, we will end up. Our great-grandchildren probably won't even remember our names. We are fleeting moments in eternity. And that's okay because we're not meant for this earth. We are temporarily meant for this earth, but we're meant for eternity. They need to understand that, that if you live for this earth, then it's like trying to capture vapor. But if you live for eternity, then your, then your actions and your work and your very, your purpose, you have a purpose. You, you, you embrace that purpose. Also, this, this entitlement attitude means that you will have no liberty. True entitlement, um, when I say true entitlement, I mean like when it manifests, when entitlement becomes real, you've sacrificed all your liberty. So there's no such thing as, as your truth in the sense that all of your preferences now belong to someone else. When you feel that you're entitled to be given things, someone else still gets to choose what you are given. So you've sacrificed all of your liberty, all of your, all of your freedom, all of your individuality, what you might like, what you might find fulfilling, which of course will ultimately down the road will mean oppression and scarcity. Um, also, Gen Zers need to understand that family is who we are created to be. What your role in that family may differ, but part of a family unit a man, a woman, and children is who you are created to be. And it's okay, and it's good. It's good for our country, it's good for you, it's good for your soul, it's good for the soul of your spouse and your children. And those, those loved ones that we are made to be part of, there is dignity and value in providing for them. And that's where work comes in. You can work in something that's inherently service-oriented, or you can work for Dunder Mifflin, which is a, obviously the fictional, the fictional office um, paper company. But if you are working to provide for your family, to secure your loved ones, then there's dignity in everything that you do. And when you have that kind of purpose, you won't suffer from the crippling anxiety and lack of purpose that would drive you to do bare minimum Monday. Your purpose will be outside of what you're doing, but what you're doing will enable you to pursue your real purpose. Now, all of this is to be said, when you juxtapose this bare minimum Mondays with that horrific video from the Ohio Elementary School, you think, okay, but how can we expect this generation, Gen Z and even below Gen Z, how can we expect this generation to understand the dignity of themselves and the dignity of work when culture has inundated them with anti-American, anti-capitalism, anti-Christian, anti-human, anti-work, um, really anti-self, selfishness for their entire life.
we can't. We realistically cannot expect them to act in any way other than this. We should not be surprised. And if we are surprised, that's actually on us. It's on us because we didn't put a stop to it. Okay, I do want to do one follow-up on the episode from last week where we talked about Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert, the Dilbert comic strip and how he got canceled for um, essentially saying that the Rasmussen poll that found that 47% of black people did not think it is, quote, okay to be white. And he said those 47% of black people that don't think it's okay to be white are a hate group and he doesn't want to live or exist anywhere near them. He was completely canceled for saying this. I did a whole episode breakdown of it, longer than that two-sentence summary I just gave you. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. However, I saw the funniest video on Twitter today that um, it's a little skit about the Scott Adams controversy that I thought you might enjoy, so take a look. It's getting weird. Part infinity. All right, here's my skit about the whole Dilbert situation. The guy that created the comics and then what he said recently. Because I used to read the comic growing up. Like, the dog was my favorite part. But here's how I see it, right? You can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is just my perspective. Dog, I don't like white people. I don't like white people at all. I hate them too and I'm white. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to head over this way. What's the problem, dog? You don't like being around black people or what? No, no, I just heard you said you didn't like white people. So I was just going to shimmy shake and skedaddle this way. No, Devon, hold on. I can taste the racism. He's racist. I'm not racist. Wait, hold up. Ain't you that Dilbert guy? Yeah. <gasps> Cancel culture! Oh, sorry. I came as fast as I could in my Maserati. What's the problem? This guy needs to be canceled because he doesn't want to be around black people. Yeah, and I also heard he doesn't want to live in the inner city either. Wait, no, that doesn't have anything to do with not being around black people. I just don't want to live in the hood. Ah, oh, disgusting. You're canceled. <laughs> Wait, where do you live? Uh, this isn't about me. No, but let's make it about you. You're trying to cancel me because I don't want to live in the hood, but you don't live in the hood. The cancel machine has already started. We can't turn back. Sorry. What the f*** is going on here? Comment below. I thought that was um, hilarious. Let me know what you think. All right, guys, the rest of the show over on LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. We're going to talk about Chris Rock. His new Netflix special came out, and oh boy, does he give it to Will Smith and Meghan Markle. Join us, LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.